And there's intimacy on the radio, and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live. Here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another incredible installment of Cowboy State Politics. From high above all other puerile and insipid forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. It would appear that we finally got some spring. I checked the weather report, and it's supposed to be pretty nice for the next week. A, a, a respite from what we've been putting up with all winter. My friends, we begin with the Republican Party GOPs, the, the Republican Party State Central Committee's election that's going to happen this Saturday in Jackson, Wyoming. Now, it's the first time there's been a meeting in Jackson in quite some time. But all I have to say for you, my friends, is Frank Moore finally speaks. As I noted on Wednesday's program, Frank Moore really hasn't said anything as to why he's running against Chairman Frank Ethorn. Not the only thing he said is he agrees with the party platform 100%, and then he voted for Donald Trump. Okay, that's fine. But the big question is, why and who is supporting him? Well, it's all of the liberal elites in the Wyoming media. Kerry Drake of Wildfile gave him effusive praise before he went on to attack Frank Ethorn. Rod Miller thinks that Fr Frank Moore is just the, the cat's meow. The, the cream to the crim, all of that crap. But all of the liberal media elites are supporting Frank Moore. So the question you have to ask yourself is why? If Frank Moore supports the party platform 100% and he voted for Donald Trump, and if that is the measure by which we, we should decide who our next chairman is, well, then we should vote for Frank Ethorn because we know that he supports the party platform 100%. We know that he voted for Donald Trump twice. And we know that he's been effective in getting conservatives elected to the state legislature and to the United States Congress. So using Frank Moore's logic, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever that he should be in this race. But he did, however, send out a little text message note or letter to all of the uh, state, committee state committee members. And it it's fascinating, my friends. You've got to listen to this. Quote, number one, listening matters. 
As your GOP chairman, I will commit to a listening tour of our great state, visiting all 23 counties in my first 100 days. Well, the reason he has to do that is he has no idea what's going on in the state GOP. He hasn't been involved. I've been to just about every state central committee meeting for the last three years, and I've never once seen Frank Moore there. So he has no idea what's going on. Now, his first part also implies that Chairman Ethorn doesn't listen to the 23 counties. Well, he does. I know for a fact that he does. I've, I've run into him in multiple counties across the state when there wasn't a state central committee meeting going on. Number two is equally as interesting on his list. Quote, I will make sure that Laramie, Natrona, and any other counties in arrears have paid their shares in full. They have the same obligation to fulfill as the rest of the counties. I will make sure they satisfy that commitment. Now, first of all, Laramie and Natrona County have been refusing to pay their shares for several years because they don't, their stated reason is they don't like the direction of the party. And that is one that is decidedly conservative and actually sticks up for its principles. You know, the the Republican Party platform, things like being pro-life and pro-free uh, enterprise and, uh, you know, pro-family values, all of those things. Well, they've said that they don't agree with the party platform, or at least they don't agree with the direction of the party, and that's why they're not paying their shares. So number two here, how is he going to make sure that all of these counties pay all of their county shares? Well, he's going to have to agree with them, right? Second thing on this, he's evidently unaware that Laramie County voted unanimously to pay their, their shares that are in arrears. So really, the only outlier in this whole thing is Natrona County. You know, the one that Pinocchio Joe McGinley is all in charge of all the time, even though he's not the chairman. How is Frank Moore going to convince Natrona County to pay their shares? Well, he's obviously going to have to agree with them, right? Because that's the only way that, that, that they're going to be convinced to make any move whatsoever. And the third point on this one is this: what he told the Wyoming media repeatedly over and over, is that he wants to bring the party to back together. He wants unity, though he never explains what this unity business means. Um, but since Laramie County has voted to pay their shares, now I don't know if the check is cleared yet, but at least they decided that they were going to pay them. The only one that hasn't paid is Natrona County. So in other words, Frank Moore is running on a platform of satisfying Natrona County. Number three, this is fascinating and has some profound implications here. Once all of that is completed, I will end the county share system. The Wyoming Republican Party should not be a welfare state where our hard-working county parties have to pay a tax to the state party. It is a fundamental conservative belief that those closest to the people and to the grassroots are better situated to govern, you know, like the party. Anyway, uh, each of you know the needs of your individual county far better than a central state-run approach. This tax on county parties goes against everything we believe as Republicans. Well, he misunderstands why we have a county share system. You see, each county has to have skin in the game. And the way, that, the way that the state Republican Party is controlled is by the counties. Everything is decided by the grassroots conservatives that make up the party. And if they have a stake in the matter, that is, they pay their county shares, that means by definition, they're going to have more influence on the state GOP. Now, if we do what Frank Moore is, in, what is suggesting, eliminate the state, state or the county, chairs, county share system, all of that funding is going to be is going to come from individual donors. 
Now, we all know how individual big-time donors affect political organizations, don't we? Well, yeah, that means they have influence over what happens. So essentially what Frank Moore is suggesting we do is move the influence from the away from the grassroots where it is right now into the hands of big-time individual donors. So you're completely changing the makeup of the state GOP. This is profoundly wrong, my friends. It's going to allow those people who have a lot of money and a lot of influence in the state to control how the state party operates. So when you look at all the big money funders, many of them live in the Ca in Casper, which is Natrona County. Many of them live in Cheyenne, um, Laramie County. So what I'm saying here is if Frank Moore is going to be the funding mechanism for the entire state GOP, then those people that he gets the money from are going to be the ones that have influence over where that money goes. See, right now, the, the state GOP is, is funded in part by county shares. And so each individual county has a say in how that money is distributed. So number, um, number four on his list is, as a state party chairman, the buck stops with me, always. I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with you, as together we fight for conservative causes. Well, okay, that's also implying that, that Chairman Frank doesn't do that already. The reason why Frank Moore doesn't believe that our current chairman, Chairman Frank Ethorn, doesn't do that is because he's not been involved. Frank Moore has no idea what's been happening, and the only news that he has on the state GOP comes from the likes of, of Biofile and the cow pie. How else would he get information on the state party? Either that, or he's talking to his neighbors in Natrona County, who have a decidedly, shall we say, um, biased approach. Now, the, the, he makes an interesting comment in... Uh, in, in his little message to the state central committee members, and I'll just read the introduction to you because it's fascinating. Quote, over the past two weeks, I've been traveling our great state and visiting with you. I appreciate all who, who have made time to sit down with me and learn about my candidacy. But more importantly, I'm inspired by everything I learned from each of you. Thank you. However, I feel compelled to clear up a few mistruths that have been spread. This is fascinating. So, quote, I want to be very clear. I'm the most conservative candidate in this race. Now, how is, how, is that, how is he determining that? How is it possible that he knows that he's the most conservative? And what, by what definition is he most conservative? I mean, how, because he doesn't tell you what his principles are. He doesn't tell you what he believes in. He doesn't tell you, um, he doesn't tell you, you know, why he's entered the race. He just asserts that I'm the most conservative member of, of this race, implying, of course, that Frank Ethorn is not. He goes on, if you're hearing different, please know that this is a sad attempt to mislead you, and I'm always happy to answer a call or come meet face-to-face -to, -face to set the record straight. Now, here's the thing. About the only thing we really know about Frank Moore is that he was on the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank Board with Mark Gordon. Uh-huh, that should tell you something. And really, the only thing that leads us anywhere close to his political ideology is that on Facebook, he has an ad supporting Mark Gordon for governor. So if this qualifies as conservative in his book, my friends, we should stay as far away from Frank Moore as humanly possible. Mark Gordon is not a conservative. 
Let us not forget that Mark Gordon closed down this entire state, even though he now lies to you about it and says that he didn't. Remember what happened during COVID. Remember what happened during the special session when he wouldn't even talk to the gallery that was packed full of people. Instead, he locked himself in his office. Remember what his leadership was during the pandemic. It wasn't conservative. It wasn't conservative in the, in the, in the least. And so you have Frank Moore here showing us that the, the only thing that we know about his political ideology is that he supports Mark Gordon. And now he claims, claims that he's the most conservative person in this race. He's not, my friends. And if he were, he wouldn't have sent out this text message. To go into this um, on a deeper level, Joey Carrenti has joined the program. Joey, welcome to the program. Well, good morning, David, and thanks for having me on once again. Well, yeah, absolutely. Anytime. So you've got some thoughts to add to our discussion? Well, I want to I want to speak about a specific point that uh, Mr. Moore wrote in his text message. And I want to preface it by saying in this statewide uh, leadership election, I don't have a vote. I'm not on the uh, state central committee. I also don't have a dog in this fight because I truly believe that the actions of the state party are a reflection of the grassroots efforts in each county and a chairman has the responsibility of carrying forward the voice of the majority of the body that they preside over so when mr moore says he guarantees he will end the county shares system and abolish it completely i have a question because last time i checked county shares were part of the state bylaws and the state bylaws are propagated and voted on at the state convention so is Mr. Moore saying if he becomes chairman, he will throw out a bylaw and refuse the voice of the people that started at the grassroots level at their uh, county conventions, sent a bylaw up through the state convention uh, con uh, committee process and then voted on on the floor. And this this is not a new bylaw. This has been around for very long time at least four years the system's been in place longer than the bylaws been in place but as mr moore saying if we elect him chairman he's going to take unilateral action throw out a bylaw and refuse to hear the voice of the two hundred and five thousand registered republicans who potentially had involvement in creating and passing this bylaw because i think he might be under the impression that he's running for senate president Otherwise, he wouldn't be running on a platform of taking unilateral action against the rules. Well, that's exactly what he's doing. And if you read through the rest of his text message, I mean, it's an or email. And, you know, it was sent to me by uh, by a member of the state central committee. Um, but like he clearly doesn't understand how the state GOP works. And he thinks that as chairman, he gets to control the whole thing. I mean, well, Joey, normally the chairman doesn't get a vote, do they? No, and especially because this is a bylaw which is uh, voted on at the state convention. Not only does chairman done, doesn't have a vote, the chairman of the state party isn't even the chairman of the convention. So not only does he not have a vote, he doesn't even get to involve himself in controlling the conversation when it is voted on. It's, um, you know, we normally have a honorary chairman. The last two conventions, it's been uh, former representative Scott Clem and the state chairman uh, helps to um, process the yeah, administrative portions. Yeah, and he's not involved. He never speaks and he never votes. So, you know, it's really concerning to me. Again, like I said, I don't have a dog in this race. 
whoever's at the top will never affect the work that we do down here at the grassroots. They just may stand as an impediment to how far our work goes. But we have rules. And the first thing about being, I believe, a liberty-minded constitutional conservative is follow the rules because you know the rules and respect the grassroots because that is the foundation of the body you say you preside over. And, and this is an issue I have with just about anybody who reaches a high level. Rarely is it addressed properly. They think they're in a position of power and they have you know, an agenda. They don't realize we are a representative form of government in the Republican Party, same as the government in Wyoming in the United States. Once you reach that level, it's not a position of power. It is a position of intense responsibility. And you owe the service to the people that put you there to do their will, because it even says so, I believe, in our Constitution that the power of government is inherent in the people. And I know it says in the Republican Party platform that you cannot govern without the uh, or you cannot rule without the consent of the governed. Exactly right. And, you know, like the more I look into this, Frank Morgan, and, and admittedly, there was not there is not a lot online about him. And in part, that's partly because he hasn't been involved in politics in a very long time. But it's very clear that he has no idea how the state GOP operates. You know, he, he says that he's going to go on a listening tour for to all 23 counties. I mean, if you're running for the chairman, don't you think that you should have already done that? I mean, shouldn't you know what, what happens in the state party before you decide to um, to level all of these attacks like he's been doing? I, I would like to think so. Again, it depends on if an individual is looking at it as a position of power to thrust forward a, a narrative and a, a set of agendas, or if an individual is looking to run to serve. I would hope that there was already a network in any candidate's uh, life and repertoire of at least having contacts in multiple areas where they know they can get further into an issue or a local, you know, a county party concern uh, fairly easily, as opposed to, you know, if you do one county a month, it'll take you two years to visit every county. County county meetings tend to happen on the same days in multiple counties, so it'll take you quite a bit of time to go and do that. And um, I, I don't know if Mr. Moore understands that if he already has his list of concerns and things he wants to change, how that is kind of a, you know, opposite action towards now I'm going to go listen, but this is already what I've decided I'm going to do. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We're running a little bit long now. After since I've got you on the program, Joey, I want to talk about another matter after the break. Um, I, I just like your thoughts on on how important it, it would be to have you know a stronger Democrat party in the state. I mean, that sounds a little counterintuitive um, for you know for a conservative or conservatives such as ourselves um, to think that way, but. You know, I've been watching a couple things that have been happening around the state, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. So we'll do that after the break. Cowboy State Politics is your source for fair, true journalism in the state of Wyoming. I know it's crazy to think that the most conservative state in the country only has one really conservative news outlet, and you're listening to it. Now, you can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps, iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, 
Really, any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. There, you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If you're one of these guys that thinks that you're informed because you pay attention to the Wyoming press, well, what you need to do is go to cowboystatepolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself, and find out that you've been wrong all along. Yeah, I know. It's probably going to hurt your feelings, but sometimes that's necessary. Just ask the Redcoats. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And then every Thursday at 10 a.m., Cowboy State Politics Live. You know, the program you're listening to right now. I cover mostly national issues on the Thursday program. You know, the stuff that we don't get to at other points during the week. You can find the link to the live program at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. So, check out all the Cowboy State Politics episodes every single week. And now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program. David Iverson, Wyoming's conservative voice, documented to be almost always right 98.87% of the time. Well, my friends, time is winding down for next Wednesday's bombshell uh, episode that we're putting together. I only have one thing to say, my friends. Tick-tock goes the clock. Tick-tock goes the clock. That's right. Next Wednesday, I've got a giant story that I'm going to drop. Um, it's it's one that, uh, frankly, it's going to blow your mind. Um, just to give you a little heads up, I prepared a little companion video to go along with the episode because there's a lot of stuff you just have to see to believe. So we're going to do that all next all next Wednesday, and uh, it, it should be a fantastic show. Before the break, we were talking with Joey Carenti, and there's since I have him on the program, I wanted to ask him, um, you know, uh, uh, something that I've been thinking about um, across the state, specifically in Weston County, there's been an effort to revive the Democrat Party in that county. Now, I firmly believe that nothing could be better for Wyoming politics if it, uh, that if we had a stronger Democrat Party in the state. I mean, at least that way, you know, we'd have we wouldn't have a whole bunch of Democrats that are hiding in the Republican Party. I mean, they'd have a place to go and we could actually have a legitimate uh, political discussion. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Joe? Well, first and foremost, I love the fact that the Democrat Party in Western County is standing back up, uh, that whatever apparatus they have going on in their party is looking to one at a time, especially in small rural counties, reinvigorate and reclaim their brand. Because the biggest problem we have is not that we have a uniparty or a one-party system in Wyoming. That is a problem, but you have to look at why we have that. And really what it boils down to is in Title 22 that governs elections and political parties, there's two different sections related to political parties. One is for what's considered a major party and one what's considered a minor party. Now, the minor parties have about six or seven rules or laws or statutes that they have to follow, but they can do whatever else they want and the recognizes private organizations. The major parties, which right now are the Republicans and Democrats, have over a hundred rules they have to follow that include the state telling the private organization of a political party 
how many representatives it can have within a community, how they have to elect them, even though it's in debate in court, um, that we have to notice everything in a newspaper as opposed to on the radio or on the internet. I don't know why the state continues to try to subsidize a failing newspaper industry with laws saying you have to print it in the newspaper. But there's all these extra rules. And what I believe is not only does it violate the constitutional uh, protection for political equality, it has driven this system to be all you have to do is have an R behind your name and you can get elected and then go vote however you want and people won't care. So I think the Democrat Party's taking the first step correctly. They're looking to the grassroots level. They're not looking to, you know, change laws or change the system. I think that's really what the Republicans should be focusing on is stripping that major political party designation away and having all political parties follow the same rules. Do not spend taxpayer money and provide ballots and tabulation for only two parties and then not only refuse the other two parties, but tell them it's illegal if they participate in a primary. Um, and we'll get rid of all these questions. Crossover voting won't be a problem. Runoff elections won't be a problem because that will be the party's responsibility because people seem to miss what a primary election is. Primary election is to thin the crowd of candidates for nonpartisan positions and to allow partisan uh, elections to pick its nominee for the general election. It's not a pre-general general. So there's been a lot of games being played in how elections go on in Wyoming because the way the system is set up. It is not, and I'm probably gonna catch a lot of flack for this, it's not the Democrats' fault for taking advantage of a system that a predominantly Republican legislature has passed and allowed to continue the way it is. Well, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I. Honestly, when I when I look at the whole situation, I think that uh, the best possible outcome is that if you had um, a stronger Democrat party, I mean that way, you know that way we we wouldn't have to guess. Or let me back up. Um, you you wouldn't have candidates. I mean, maybe you still would, but um, you, you'd probably have fewer candidates knocking on people's doors, telling them that hey, I'm really conservative, and then they go down to Cheyenne and do exactly the opposite. I mean, they wouldn't have to, right? I mean, you would have a stronger Democrat party. Um, those individuals who really are Democrats could go back home and get the heck out of our party. Um, you know, we've got 31 of those in, in the House of Representatives right now. And I, I just think it would be a better situation um, for all involved if, if the Democrat party got a little bit stronger in the state. And in fact, um, the guy that's in charge of all this, and I don't wanna mention his name on the program quite yet, uh, but he's from Buffalo. And, you know, he's been kind of traveling the state trying to get county parties, um, Democrat parties uh, up and running again. And I'm going to when everything kind of settles down for me after this big episode, I'm going to invite him on the program and uh, I just talk about these things with him. I, I think it'll be a fascinating discussion. Any closing yeah. thoughts, Joe? Uh, yeah, well, first thing you pointed out, it's something I, I think there should be an ad out, you know, like a, a L'Oreal or whatever makeup ad of Wyoming house makeup. It's red when you buy it, but blue when you apply it. Um, <laughs> and, and you're right, but I don't think it's gotta be a red and blue issue. And I don't want to limit it to, we need a stronger Democrat party so we can, because that just leads people into believing we actually have a two party system. I think we need stronger parties across the board, stop designating major and minor parties. And, you know, the libertarians have some good ideas. The constitutionalists have some good ideas and they deserve to operate on an equal playing field and give places for people to go to if they have those same feelings. 
you're right. It's going to take a while. People are still going to pretend to be Republican, even if everything changes. But what you're going to see is what all grassroots efforts do, an eventual push towards saying, we're not enemies, we're just different. And now we have proper places to reside. And we can get back to that thing that you know, all these people are calling for that we tend to disagree with. Civility, vigorous debate on the issues. Well, that's going to be a lot easier if we can handle the statutory issue and support a system that lets political parties become as strong as they need to be for the people, not for the consideration of power, but for the responsibility of service to the voice of their people. Absolutely correct. Well, Joe, I appreciate you um, coming on the program again. Um, and again, you're welcome anytime you want to you want to come on the show. Yeah. Last thing. Um, again, I want to reiterate, I have no dog in the fight with the uh, Frank Moore, Frank Ethorn vote. Obviously, a Frank is going to win. But the truth is, the people that are voting, I'm not one of them, need to be listening to the people they represent, not rhetoric from you know us. We have our concerns about the individuals. That's fine. I have a concern about always processes, procedures, and principles. But this isn't my vote. This is a vote that should reflect the voice of the people that are represented by those 69 individuals. Absolutely correct. After the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk about, I mean, there's a fascinating article that was put out on The Blaze, and it's entitled The Intentional Demolition of American Identity. I mean, it, it's, it's a, a fascinating look at history and what's being done to it. Um, so I want to talk about that after the break. If you've lived in Wyoming for any length of time, you know that that white stuff is not done flying around even though it's April. You are still, on occasion, going to have to get out and shovel the walk. And at other times, it might be 70 degrees and you'll have to go out and start getting the yard ready. Either way, you need to take care of your feet while you're doing it. The Buffalo Wool Company makes the most amazing socks that I've ever worn. They'll keep you warm in the winter and dry in the summer, and they have a wide variety of different socks. They've got some crew socks for if you wear tennis shoes or all the way up to boot socks. So it doesn't really matter what you're doing outside during this Wyoming spring, you should probably be wearing a pair of Buffalo Wool Company socks. Go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com, and take care of those feet of yours, because they certainly take care of you. As you no doubt are keenly aware, I'm a fan of just about any Wyoming company. Just about, I said. And one of them you should really check out is New Trend Hats. They're a company that's based in Kemmerer. They make those hats with a really cool ponytail hole on top of them. And right now they have a wide selection of hats for both men and women. Being as cold as it is, you definitely don't want your ears to get cold either. So go check out New Trend Hats. I'm sure you'll find one to keep those ears of yours nice and toasty warm. That's New Trend Hats. And now, back to the program. In the past few days, the National NAEP Educational uh, outcomes came out, um, and they were testing like educational outcomes or student performance um, throughout the pandemic, so the last few years. And 
knowledge of students' knowledge of history and civics and mathematics um, declined precipitously in the last three years. Now, Wyoming in only rates number 26 out of 50 states in educational outcomes. So if we only rank 26th, um, we've probably fallen quite a, quite a long ways down. Uh, if you look at them in detail, uh, there's only a very few, a very small percentage of Wyoming students that end up being proficient in a lot of different subjects. And one of those happens to be history. Now, as I mentioned before the break, there's a great article uh, that's on the blaze right now. It's, and it's entitled The Intentional Demolition of American Identity. Um, and, you know, we don't, a lot of people don't look at history as being that important to what's happening right now. Uh, but let's not forget the, the stark warning that George Orwell left in 1984. Um, and actually, the, the author of this article quotes it. But it, he who controls the past controls the future. Um, you know, and, and that's absolutely true. Like a lot of the things that we're seeing right now in our country are nothing new. I mean, they've happened before. Um, it's just it's just a new iteration of it. You know, socialism always always grabs a hold of some sort of or manufactures some sort of social ill and that exploits it. And it just right now it happens to be all of this LGD, LGBTQ trans stuff because they they have to have an issue to exploit. They have to be able to manipulate you through that. And those folks that um, won't go along with their agenda, well, they have to be beaten into submission. That they have to make it so onerous for you to disagree with them that you just go along. You know, at, at your job, for example, you know, you have to agree with the pedagogy that's coming out of your human resources department. And if you don't, you're going to get canned. So it's better just to be quiet, right? Don't don't rock the boat. Don't make any waves. So the author starts out by saying, quote, Joe Biden, or whatever communications flunky operates his social media accounts, took to Twitter this week to inform the nation that Muslim culture has been woven throughout American culture from the very start. This is an obvious and absurd lie. Uh, but Biden's not the first president to make such a claim. Barack Obama and several other Democratic politicians have asserted for years that Islam has been woven into the fabric of America. And that's just patently false, my friends. The most basic look into American history proves that that's a lie, and it reveals that Islam, and I'm quoting now, was not just completely absent from the formation of the United States, but was the young nation's direct adversary. The direct adversary. The very first big adversary after we won our independence. Quoting again, the first military action that the U.S. took after its independence was the defense of American sailors against the Barbary pirates. These Muslim raiders were enslaving and ransoming Americans in accordance with their religion, and the nation spent a large percentage of its budget paying off those pirates before sending its newly formed navy to put an end to the raiding once and for all. Now, it goes actually further than that. One of the very first books that was petitioned by Congress to be distributed across the nation was the Koran. And it was Thomas Jefferson himself that made the petition to Congress. His whole idea was that people have to read what's actually in that book. Now, I know many Americans have not read the Koran, nor should you probably want to. Uh, but, but it does tell you exactly what's happening in Islam. The Quran is not an, a, a book of peace. It's not that at all. 
Now, half of the book talks about that, but the other half is basically kill all the infidels. Back to the article. Um, so all you have to do is look at the at the Marine hymn, like the uh, you know the the theme song for the United States Marine Corps. The line from the halls of Mont Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. That's a direct reference to the Barbary pirates. It was the first adversary that the that the a young United States confronted, and it was our our first enemy. So I mean, when when liberal democratic politicians claim that Islam has been woven into this country's history since the beginning, it's a complete lie. But they go further than that. Now, the author states that he's a former high school teacher, and he says, and I quote, I can tell you that many young people believe that slavery was an American invention, and this notion is particularly popular among minority students. Now, just think about all of the rhetoric that you hear on TV and from the national media, that the, the single worst thing America ever did was slavery. Now, I happen to agree with them that that was very, very bad, but we didn't start slavery. Slavery has existed since people have existed, and it wasn't just one particular race. If you look back at, at early Greece, whenever a nation was conquered, well, those citizens that they conquered were put into slavery. White, black, it, it doesn't really matter. Whomever got conquered got thrown into slavery. So this whole nation that slavery is, is specific to a race is false on, on, on face. I mean, it's false from the very beginning, but the left can't, can't let you believe that that's true simply because it disrupts their narrative. Now, again, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, the left always has to, has to grab a hold of some specific issue and exploit it. They either have to make you believe things that are not true, or they have to exaggerate what it is that uh, um, they're grabbing a hold of. So... The article continues, facts do not matter to the left. History is simply one more ideological litmus test for the institutions that underpin the current regime. Sure, Muslims did not found America, but is that fact really worth losing your job over? Probably best to just nod politely and continue on. You see, their, their liberal pedagogy, has to you have to accept it so that they can push their, further, their, their agenda even more. And, you know, it's at this point, I mean, if we're talking about slavery in particular, you have the New York Times and 1619 project, and they claim that the United States started in 1619, which is also patently false. Um, but they are correct about one thing, that that was kind of the big beginning of slavery. It wasn't the actual beginning. Um, there were slaves in this continent and in other continents. Um, there was a, a, a trade route that was triangle between Great Britain, Africa, and the United States. And the way that it worked is Great Britain would get the raw materials from, from America, and they would ship those raw materials back to Great Britain, and they would process them and make, make them into goods, weave wool and uh, weave cotton and uh, use the lumber to make furniture. And then they would take those goods to Africa, and it was several different nations, but they would take those goods to Africa, and they would trade them for slaves. They would send the slaves back to North America, and it wasn't just America. I mean, there was there was British colonies all up and down South America, Mexico, and into the United States. I mean, it's just a smattering. Several different countries had had colonies there, but this trade route um, did did look like triangle, and it went from raw materials in the in America 
over to Great Britain. Great Britain processed them, took them down to Africa, traded them for slaves, and then the slaves were sent back um, to, to North and South America. So it's not just America that did this. And the very first and biggest slave owner in America was a guy named Antonio Johnson. Now, he was a sharecropper that came over here, I don't know, um, early 1600s. And a lot of, the, a lot of immigrants to, um, to the New World or to early America um, were sharecroppers. Um, you know, they were indentured servants, so they would pay for their voyage um, in, through working for whomever it was um, that paid for their trip over here. And after a certain amount of time, and it was usually seven years, then you would earn your freedom and you could go do whatever you wanted. Well, Antonio Johnson was one of those guys. So he he came over here, did his seven years. I think it was seven years. Um, and then he was released and he thought, you know, wow, I need to get me some indentured servants too. So he did, a black guy. And, you know, the black guy worked for him for a while and paid back and then he was released. Well, in another state, um, there was another property owner that had two indentured servants and they escaped and they were caught. Well, the the white guy was given, um, and I wish I could remember the names right now, but I'll, I'll find a source for this and so that you can read the story for yourself and post it on Cowboy State Politics. But anyhow, the judge determined that the white guy was given a few more years of indentured servitude and he gave the black guy uh, life. So here you have, I mean, that sets up the white-black um, dichotomy. So Antonio's watching this whole thing, and he, he thinks, well, gee, you know, it would be great if my indentured servant could just be indentured for life. So he went to court, and it took him several tries to find a judge that would, um, that would sentence his indentured servant to life. But finally, he found one. And so Antonio Johnson became the first legal slave owner in America, and he became very, very wealthy in the slave trade. The only thing is, Antonio Johnson was black. That's what I said, my friends. He was black. And so from the very beginning, the 1619 Project, this, this narrative about slavery, it's, it's littered with, with untruths from the very beginning. And so when facts don't matter to you, like to the 1619 Project, the New York Times, and anybody that's pushing any sort of narrative, when facts don't matter to them, well, then they can convince them of, of convince people of anything. And what this article is saying is that if you erase a group's identity, well, then you, you can convince them of anything. And identity is directly tied to a person's history. Think about your own life. Think about who you are. Well, who you are comes from your parents and your grandparents and how you were brought up. And that, that carries forward with you for your entire life. Now, if you're able to erase a nation's history, then you can make it, you can make it citizens believe anything that you want. And, since, and if you look at the national, result, national test results that were released by the NAEP, you can clearly see that students are not being taught an accurate history. So I'll post this article at CowboyStatePolitics.com. And once again, you know, it's, it's a fascinating read, and I highly suggest you take a look at it. Uh, but just one more quotation um, before we move on, and I'll show you the impact that erasing a nation's identity has. But, quote, when an individual is stripped of his historical, familial, religious, or even biological context, he can be manipulated into holding any belief. The leftist proj project seeks to strip Americans of their connection to the past 
as well as the organic communities and institutions to which they would naturally belong in the hopes of manufacturing an identity that is wholly dependent upon the progressive political apparatus. Boom. That's exactly what's happening. Now, the results of this are pretty easy to see. In California, they've decided that they're going to pay reparations to every African-American that lives in California. Now, my first objection to this is that you know, you're talking about an alleged, or not an alleged, but you're talking about a historical wrong, slavery, that is by far one of the lowest things that you can possibly do to a, to a person. Um, so, excuse me for a minute, hmm. had a frog in my throat. So it's, it's the biggest harm that you could ever do to a person. And obviously it has historical context, and very clearly that historical context moved forward as our society progressed, even though I would claim, I would argue that, you know, in America, we, we don't have any sort of systemic racism anymore. I mean, I think that's another lie from the left, but certainly that historical wrong has been carried forward, but the past has been perverted. I just gave you the story, the story of Antonio Johnson. The left's narrative also leaves out a number of really, really cool founding fathers that were black. Um, I'll just give you one example. Does it make any sense that Paul Revere was by himself that night? Does it make any sense whatsoever? Well, of course it doesn't. Paul Revere was given a very, very important job to alert others that the British were coming. And the truth is, they didn't send him by himself. There was another guy named Wentworth Cheswell. Now, Wentworth Cheswell uh, was a pillar of his community. He built the first library in his community. He was a teacher. He was a judge for over 40 years. He was profoundly influential in, uh, you know, during the pre-revolutionary period. Well, the only reason, one of the big reasons why you don't know who Wentworth Cheswell is, is the British didn't go the way that he did. They went to Boston. And so there's really, you know, historically speaking, I mean, his role in the revolution, um, perhaps it's not as big as Paul Revere's. But the other reason that you don't know who he is, is he was black. And so if, you, if, if we expose those historical truths about our founding and about our beginning as a country, it disrupts the narrative um, that the left is trying to push. So California has decided that they're going to pay reparations. Now, this is from the Los Angeles Times, and they're actually in favor of uh, this reparations plan. But the article is called California's Reparations Plan Should Consider the Racial Health Gap <laughs> by Christopher uh, Kuzawa. Quote, Californians are weighing in publicly on the idea of reparations to black Americans with the state's reparations task force set to report their recommendations by July 1. This initiative builds on smaller scale efforts, such as in my hometown of Evanston, Illinois, which in 2021 became the first U.S. city to promise limited financial reparations for slavery and city-sanctioned discriminatory housing policies. Now, again, the first problem with this is that you're repaying, trying to repay a historical wrong with money. That devalues the importance of that historical wrong. You're saying that we can just buy you off for this gigantic thing that was committed in our nation's past. And secondly, you're, you're legitimizing the idea that anyone walking around today has really any real connection to that past. But the essential point is that you're devaluing the importance of it with money. Second quotation from this article. Quote, I'm an anthropologist and epidemiologist who studies health inequity 
And last year, I began my testimony to the California Reparations Task Force by recounting stock figures compiled in the National Central for Health, Health Statistics. Life expectancy for black women in the U.S. is three years less than it is for their white counterparts. For men, the difference is, is striking five years lower. Now, I bring this up because it sounds kind of kind of disjointed. Well, this whole their whole reparations plan encompasses a whole bunch of things. It's not just for slavery or for the Jim Crow era or for wrongs that were committed during the civil rights movement. It's for everything. Climate impacts, economic impacts. So really what this is, is an attempt to buy votes, pure and simple. And the gigantic size of this thing, as reported by the New York Times, I think it was an article last week, was that it will be $1.2 million to every individual African-American in California. The price tag on that is going to be huge, and it could potentially, well, further bankrupt California. I mean, fascinating if you think about it, but it's a direct result of not understanding the past. Because if you don't understand the past and you don't know anything about how our country was founded, well, you can convince anybody of anything. I mean, it's, it's very, very analogous to what's going on with the LGBTQ and trans agenda right now. We all know deep down that there are only two sexes. There's an XX chromosome and there's an XY chromosome. But there's a lot of people who are trying to convince everybody that there is more than, one, than two genders, even though biology disagrees. And so my point here is that if you destroy a community's identity and you disrupt things that are true, you can convince a population of anything. And that's exactly what's happening. After the break, I've got just a couple of other articles that I found this week that kind of go along with what we were talking about. Insane policies that wouldn't make any sense at any other time, but they do, they kind of do make sense right now simply because of the messed up world we're living in. We live in. And we'll do that after the break. Do you like hot wings? Well, if you don't, what the heck is wrong with you? Well, my friends, I happen to be obsessed with them, and the best wings you're going to find in the state of Wyoming come from the Wing It food truck. They make the most incredible wings, and it's not just hot wings. They have several other different flavors. I personally recommend the garlic parmesan wings. They're amazing. And the way that you can figure out where that truck is going to be is go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com, and look underneath the Sponsors tab, and you can find their schedule there. That way, you can plan your entire week around where that truck is going to be. That's the Wing It Food Truck. Morton Buildings is one of the leading metal building companies in America. They manufacture a lot of their own materials, and they've been doing this longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So it doesn't really matter if you need a garage or a barn or maybe a roping arena so you can do all of that rodeo stuff when it's 23 below zero, or perhaps a giant warehouse for your business. You should give my friends Nick and Jesse a call at 307-674-2532. Just tell them what you're thinking, and they'll handle all the details. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. And now, the conclusion to our program.
There was a bit of a dust-up earlier this week at the White House in the press room. As you can imagine, Peter Ducey, which I, I really, I really like that guy. I mean, it's I laugh every time he questions Karine Jean-Pierre. But there was a bit of a dust-up because the administration is making yet another absurd claim. So let me just play that soundbite for you, um, and then we'll talk about it. You said yesterday that when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down by more than 90%. Where did that number come from? It was, I was CBP speaking. is telling us the number is I hear you. I'm about to answer. I'm about, people more I'm about to answer you. Year so if you, far. If you, if the dramatics could come down just a little bit. I, um, it, the dramatics could come down a little what's bit. What's dramatic about asking a question about... Okay, I'm, I'm going to answer so I was speaking to the parolee program, as you know, the president put in place a parolee program to deal with uh, to deal with certain countries uh, on on ways that we can limit illegal migration. And we have seen the data has shown us that it has gone down by more than ninety percent. That was what I was speaking and to. No, I'm, we're, we're going to go. We're going to move. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So the administration is making an absurd claim that Ill illegal immigration has gone down ninety percent. Now, really, what they're doing is they're taking one statistic completely out of context. From The Blaze, in an article entitled, Peter Ducey Confronts White House Over Dubious Claim About Immigration, and Things qu Quickly Get Tense, like you just heard. So, what about this whole claim? Well, the more than 90% claim received a lot of attention, but no follow-up at Monday's press briefing because, of course, Karine Jean-Pierre knew that she had been caught. Now, while it's true, according to Fox News correspondent, and I'm quoting now, Bill Melgen, that immigration numbers from countries in the parolee program improved, but that improvement was offset by increasing migration from countries not in the program. Quote, there was a window of time earlier this year when encounters with Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, and Cubans did temporarily dip 90% after a policy change, but other countries like China shot up over 800%. Illegal crossings, including Venezuelans, are back at peak highs now. So the administration is taking something out of context to try to convince you of something that's just not entirely true. They're saying that illegal immigration went down 90%. Again, if you can, if you can convince people that, or, or not convince, but if you can show people that they can't rely on anything that comes out of the media because it's all a bunch of bull crap, well, then you can convince them of anything, and they think that they can make these ridiculous claims and that they will be believed that illegal immigration has dropped 90%. In truth, um, and back to the article here, indeed, on the same day that Jean-Pierre claimed immigration had improved, Border Patrol announced that more than 22,000 migrants had been apprehended in the previous 72 hours. It's an obvious lie. It's obvious that they took it out of context. But what, what may not be obvious is that they are trying to convince you that they're telling the truth. This is what all liberals do. Next up is, it turns out, we're not all crazy about the gas stove business. In fact, New York has just made it a law um, that, that uh, after 2026, gas stoves in new buildings will be outlawed. Uh, from the Associated Press, and I quote, The law negotiated by Governor Kathy Hochul and her, her fellow Democrats in the legislature is part of the state budget and puts New York at the forefront of states targeting emissions from buildings. When the phase in starts in 2026, newly constructed buildings will have to forego fossil fuel equipment in favor of devices like induction ranges and heat pumps that run on electricity. Hochul said, and I quote, 
I want to be very clear. I know people love to misinterpret this, but people with existing gas stoves, you're welcome to keep them, Hochul told reporters on Tuesday before lawmakers began voting on the budget. And then she lays it on you. This is where our nation has to go eventually. Now, now obviously, I mean, this is absurd on face, but it's also absurd according to the math. Natural gas is one of the most efficient forms of energy that we have. And as it turns out, it's one that's replaced faster than just about anything. There are so many, um, so many sources of methane emissions on this planet. Um, one of them happens to be landfills. Yeah, the garbage that we throw away generates uh, methane or perhaps decomposing leaves. The natural sources are immense. So this is yet another attempt to control you um, and to convince you of things that are just not true. If you want renewable energy, we need to look at, at natural resources like natural gas and methane. Uh, it's fascinating to me. Another interesting art article. Numerous countries have issued travel warnings for the United States. Quote, Travel Noir highlighted last week that several other countries have told their citizens that the United States is a destination where increased caution is necessary, primarily citing high crime and firearm violence as top concerns. The United Kingdom's Home Office warns Britons that safety concerns in the United States include terrorist attacks, car and street crime, and protests that can turn violent. New Zealand has issued similar warnings for its citizens and also notes that there is a higher incidence of violent crime and firearm possession than in New Zealand. That's because New Zealand just banned firearms, uh, but tempers that with crime rates vary considerably across cities and suburbs and incidents rarely involve tourists. So why would other countries be suggesting to their citizens that maybe the United States is uh, not a very safe place? Well, look at our look at our biggest cities, New York and Chicago. Every single week, there are numerous people that are shot and killed in both of those cities. And because of the Democrat policies of their mayors and their city councils, they've, they've reduced the number of police. You know, this whole defund the police business still going on, even though it's not being reported in, in the national media. So there is an increase in violence. Now, again, since we're talking about history here, we, you might ask, well, why, why would you, if you're an elected official, why would you want to increase violence? Well, um, it has a historical context. Think about the brown shirts in Russia, or not in Russia, in, uh, in Germany. Now, the brown shirts' job was to create chaos in the streets. And when Hitler thought that there was enough chaos that had been, had been created and people were crying out, please stop this, I can't take it anymore. Then he just made a phone call to his brown shirts or got a message to them. Okay, guys, that's enough. And then he took control. You see, if you can create enough chaos, people will, uh, our population will cry out eventually that they've had enough. They just want to go back to their normal lives and they don't want to have their house robbed at every turn. And then the politician can step in and say, I'll fix this for you. The reason why we know this is happening is it's happened before over and over again. It's an easy ploy by progressive politicians. It's easy to recognize. But the thing is, you're not seeing it on the national news, so perhaps you don't recognize what's going on. Again, he who controls the past controls the future, and he who controls the present controls everything. 
It's absolutely true, my friends. That's why you're seeing a perversion of history. That's why you're seeing a decline in history performance. That's why you're seeing all of this craziness that's happening in our country from the, the LGBTQ transgender agenda to the crime in the streets to all of it. It is all about control, my friends. Well, we've had a great program today. Special thanks to Joey Carrenti for joining us for a few minutes. Um, again, um, on next Wednesday's program, I'm going to drop a bombshell that I, you know, it's it's going to blow your minds, my friend. I've got undercover video of it, and it's incredible. And so that's coming next Wednesday. Also, if you've got, uh, we've got the GOP election that's happening in Jackson this weekend. You really should reach out to your um, pre or your uh, uh, state committee man and state committee woman and your county chairman and tell them how you want them to vote. Um, trust me, you're not being told the truth by everybody in the media that's supporting Frank Moore. There's a reason why they're supporting him, and my guess is it's not a very good one. So have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again during Saturday's edition of Weekend Update. But for now, from the base of the Bighorn, in beautiful Buffalo, and this is Cowboys State Politics.